Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the second book of Kings, that is Malachim Beis. Uh, we are in chapter 3, that's Paragimel, verse 16, that would be Pasuk Tes Zion. Now, <clears throat> the scene that we left uh, when we did the first half of this chapter, we had three kings, the king of Israel, who is Yehoram, and we have the king of Yehuda, who is Yehoshaphat, and the king of Edom, who is nameless. All three assembled with their armies are now hit a point where they are in the desert and they ran out of water for their troops and for their animals. And they presented themselves in front of Elisha, the prophet, who was in the camp for unclear reasons, but for whatever reason, he was there, and they asked him what they should do. So Elisha um, was initially got angry at King Yehoram because of Yehoram's history of idol worship, and reamed him out, and yelled at him, and then said, if only, because Yehoshaphat, who is a righteous king, is here, therefore I am going to give you an answer. I'm going to tell you what to do. Now, um, if not for Yehoshaphat, I wouldn't even talk to you. So he asked for someone to sing or, or an someone to play an instrument to calm him down so that he can get proper prof prophetic uh, um, inspiration. Now he proceeds with his prophecy of the first 16. That's where we're starting today. Vayomer, and he said, Ko Amar Adonai, so says God, Aso Hanachal Hazeh Gevim, gevim. Make this nachal, this wadi, wadi, which is a dry riverbed, which is generally only fills with water um, seasonally when the rains come, uh, but now it is dry and parched. Uh, make this full of gavim, gavim, which are ditches or pools, uh, you know, ditches that you can dig that you should, um, so that they can be filled with water. Now there is, it's hard to do an exact translation. Some of the translations understand this as a so, meaning this wadi shall fill with pools. But most of the traditional commentaries understand this a so as a command, or at least many of them do that. And the, the difference is significant because if it's just a statement that this wadi shall fill with pools, then, um, then it's simply stating of, of a miracle that's going to occur. But if it's a command, then it's telling the people to have faith that a miracle will occur enough that they should start digging pools for water to gather long before, the, in the middle of a dry desert, long before they see any water coming. But why should you do this? Why should you dig? I, I chose that translation, um, but uh, it's uh, is various scholars translated in different ways. Because so said God. Why should you dig the pools? Dig the pools because this is what God said. You're not going to see any winds that typically precede rains. You're not going to see even rain. But nonetheless, this wadi will fill with water. Presumably, there will be some sort of rainstorm off in the distant mountains, which will drain into this wadi. And you and your cattle and all of your war animals 
and of course yourselves will drink from the water. This is something simple in, in the eyes of God. In other words, this is standard stuff. This is no big deal, right, for God to do, right? Uh, you know, so, so in other words, he's talking to Yehoram specifically addressing those words because Yehoram is thinking, oh no, God let us here he's, so for all of us to die. And Elisha said, no, there's plenty of ways and easy ways for God to save you. And additionally, not only that, and this is what he wasn't even asked, he is going to place Moab in your hands. In other words, you are going to be victorious over Moab. And when you fight against Moab, this is what's going to happen, and this is what you should do. You will strike down or you will conquer every fortified city, and every beautiful, or from a language of chosen, but like every wonderful city, and you will knock down every good tree. In other words, you're going to destroy Moab. And you will stop up all of their all of their springs of water. And every nice patch of land that's 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 cult that could be culti- cultivated, that's fertile, and then you should throw stones over it to make it difficult to plant in the future. So Elisha is advising a almost a scorched earth policy. It's, it's unclear. It, he says it in the language of a prophecy that this is what will be done. But it seems to be also as a command that this is what you shall do. Which seems to be very strong, especially many of the commentaries note, and it, sh- and it should shake you a little, because it says all the good trees you should knock down. Presumably good trees either includes or specifically refers to fruit trees, Right. So what do you mean knock down fruit trees when in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, it explicitly states that the people, that when you wage war against other cities, that you should not destroy the fruit trees. So there's many ways to understand this. Uh, Chazal, the, the traditional uh, interpretation of the rabbis in Pesachim, in Tractate Pesachim in the Talmud, state that that because of Moab's particular uh, uh Debaseness and Moab's particular uh, terrible uh, moral state that they uh, they deserve destruction beyond what most enemies deserve. Now, to take this a little further to understand that Gemara a little better, Rashi here and other commentaries um, seem to explain that it, within that within the Parsha, within the place in the Torah where the Torah talks about um, when you conquer a, a city um, and you shouldn't uh, destroy, the, even though you're conquering the city you could, that you're waging war, but not to chop down the trees. However, it, it, it also mentions there that, that Ammon and Moab, those two nations, Ammon and Moab, because of how terrible they've been throughout history to the people of Israel, do not um, uh, try to make peace with them, which, at least according to some, according to Maimonides specifically, every other nation at war, you have to ask sue for peace first. And if they decline peace, if they decline to sign a peace treaty, then you could attack. But Amun and Moab, you don't, you're not supposed to do that. Now, if that's the case, it's possible that other parts of that same Aparsha are also only referring to when you wage war against others, but not when you wage war against Ammon and Moab. 
that are that miserable. That's this is a, 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 another way of understanding it. Um, and it seems to be indicated from R Rashi here. Um, other ways to understand this is uh, according to uh, the Ramban and the Rashbam, uh, two early commentaries, traditional commentaries on the verses in Deuteronomy mention that the prohibition is only when it's destroyed in a manner of destruction, where that's the only purpose is to destroy it. But if the purpose is it's necessary for the war, if it's necessary for the war effort to destroy those trees, because those trees are being used by the enemy in their war effort, then um, then you're allowed to. So therefore, what what and and they specifically reference Elisha's instructions here to destroy the trees to say that he was telling them <coughs> that trees that are good, meaning that you need to use them in your war effort to fight. You can chop those trees down and use them in your building your seed works or whatever it is that you need. So the, and that's how they explain this. Um, nonetheless, so there's many different ways to understand this command of Elisha, but nonetheless, it's still very striking in that it seems to directly contradict what what's in the Torah. But what there are various ways that the commentaries over the years have understood them. Um, the um, the uh, Regardless, the, well, let's go back to his prophecy. It was in the morning at around the time when the mincha offering in the temple was being brought, which was brought every morning at a set time. Lo and behold, from the direction of Edom, water started flowing into the wadi. And the land filled with, with, uh, the, with water. So the whole wadi fills with water and all the pools filled with water. Uh, so now everyone has to drink. Now, by this time, they have lost their advantage of surprise. So by this time, like people had noticed in the desert, came to Moab and say, the armies are coming after you. That these kings are coming to wage war against Moab. And they called out and rallied everyone who... Uh, was able to uh, gird themselves to wear, in other words, to wear uh, weapons and to wage war. And they and they stood at the border of of their territory, ready to defend themselves against the three kings that were attacking. So Vayashkimuva Boker and uh, the military camp of Moab wakes up in the morning and remember in the morning suddenly out of nowhere this wadi filled with water. and they saw the sun shining on the water. And they saw Moab, the, uh, I'm sorry, and the people of Moab saw uh, opposite them that the water appeared red as the sun shone on the water. Now remember, when they looked that the day before, the wadi was empty. Now they see it filled with like uh, with the reddish liquid. So, so... Uh, and they and they didn't hear any rainstorms, so it couldn't have been uh, filled up suddenly with rain. So what was it? So Vayomru Damza, they said this must be blood. Now remember, th this is why I emphasized before that the people of Edom were not like likely that they were not wholeheartedly participating in this battle because they were really vassals to Yehuda. They were probably pressured into it, so it was understood that they're not. A, Totally, such good friends with with Yehuda, their 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 masters, the Southern Kingdom, and the Southern and Northern Kingdoms themselves have a long history 
and everyone knows that they have a long history of animosity towards each other, so everyone would assume that the alliance must be fragile. So the assumption was, those kings must have started fighting with each other. They probably assumed they got stuck in the desert, they didn't have water, none of them like each other anyway, so they started fighting with each other. They started striking each other down, and now the only thing left for Moab to do is to go collect all the booty. We can go and pick up all the wealth that they left in their camps now that they all killed each other. In other words, whoever's left is certainly not ready for battle. So instead of coming down in battle formation to attack, they came to the camp of Israel, Yisrael, and, and, and when they came down, the people of Israel were ready for war. And they were not, they had not killed each other in the camp, as Moab had assumed. And they struck down the people of Moab, and the people of Moab ran from them, and they kept striking among them, the Akosis Moab, constantly striking against the people of Moab as the people of Moab were attempted to frantically retreat. And then they went ahead and did as Elisha had predicted slash instructed. And they destroyed their cities. And in the nice pieces of land, they, each, people, each, each one of the people of Israel and their allies threw stones of Miluha. And they filled the fields with stones. And they stuffed, they, they blocked off all the springs. And they knocked down all the good trees. Until the only the thing that was left was the stones um, or, or the walls that built the uh, wall of Kir Haraset is a place. And, the, and at that place, the the uh, kaloim are the people that throw uh, rocks. You know they're um, rock slingers, or they they sling um, you know with like a slingshot, um, and they struck those walls down. And the king of Moab saw that the war had gotten out of hand and it was overpowered him and his army. And he took with him seven hundred men sholev cherev. Bearing a sword, with the with the intent to break through the lines of battle to reach the position where the king of Edom was standing, but the lines of battle would not allow it. So he's trying to get to the king of Edom. Now, why is that? It could be because some suggest maybe that he he just looked at the battle the way it was and he felt that that was the weakest um, point, and he might be able to take down the king of Edom. But it's it's I think it's more uh, uh, um, likely to say that he wanted to if he was going <coughs> to pick one king to strike down, he wanted to strike at or at least strike at the armies and supporters of the king who's most likely to back down and retreat. And he understood the political dynamics here, and he realized that the people of Edom would be the least likely to defend themselves and the most likely to abandon ship and run when the going gets tough. So therefore, he went after the king of Edom. But it didn't work. And this is where one of the most uh, terrifying uh, uh, episodes occurs. And in this last verse 27, um, something happens, which it's extremely unclear who it's talking about. And I'll explain in a minute. So remember, let's, let's remember this context here. So he's running... 
he's trying to break through the lines to break through to the king of Edom, and he could not do it. Vayikach, and then he took et beno habachar, his eldest son, Asher Yimloch Tachtav, who was to uh, be a king after him, and he brought him as a sacrifice on top of the wall. He sacrificed his own child. Now, who is the he and who is the son? The he could mean he, the king of Edom, or it could mean, and most likely means, he, meaning the king of Moab, because the focus in the Pasuk before, the one who was acting, was the king of Moab. So the focus is on the king of Moab. So he took his son. Now the second part, his son, whose son? He took his own son? That's the way many people understand this, right? That he, the king of Moab, took his own son and sacrificed him. What would have been the purpose? When he saw that he was so desperate and had no hope, he figured he would sacrifice his son to, to the um, to his God, right? As a, and hope that then his God would take the sacrifice and help him win this the victory. If that's the case, I mean, this would be a horrific example of child sacrifice. Um, but it wouldn't explain the rest of the verse because what happens next? He ketzef gadol al Yisrael. Immediately there was tremendous anger against. The people of Israel by love and they retreated by Ashubul arts and returned back to the land, presumably to the land of Israel. Now, what? Why would there be anger against the people of Israel? Because the king of Moab sacrificed his son to his god. So, one of the ways that it, one of the traditional understandings of this is uh, the uh, that the Rashi brings and understands is that. He actually did not sacrifice his son as a sacrifice to his idol, but rather he sacrificed his son to God. And the wrath against the people of Israel came because of this image where, um, you know, look at his devotion to, to God. Even though God says, I'm not interested and this is not something that I want, it still showed devotion to God more than the people of Israel who were not being faithful to God themselves. And therefore there was anger against the people of Israel, meaning the Moabites started to overpower them in battle and the people of Israel ran. So that's one way of understanding. However, many of the Mepharshim, many of the, especially the Radak and others, explain this story completely differently. But rather what happened here was he was trying to get to the king of Edom because he knew and he understood that the king of Edom was the least... Um, least desired being here was the most likely to to jump ship, right? As we explained. So he took the Benoab, for some reason, the king of Edom had entrusted his son, this is prior to the battle, a long time ago, to the king of Moab. And it's even possible that both the king of Edom and the king of Moab were contemplating rebelling against their masters, right? Um, which would have been the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, respectively. So what he, the one that he took to sacrifice was the son of the king of Edom. When he saw that he couldn't capture him in battle, he took this, his son and in public executed him so that the king of Edom should see that happen. And at that point, the king of Edom, while until now he was an ally of the people of Israel, the king of Edom at that point was uh, realized how awful that, that being part of this battle 
caused that he should lose his son in such a terrible way. And the Ketzef Gadol and the anger was by the people of Edom. And the people of Israel then lost their ally. And Edom started attacking the people of Israel and the people because of because of what the king of Moab did to their to their the crown prince. And uh, and then they ran back to Israel. That would be another way of understanding this story here. Um, so, so all of these are different understandings of this story. Uh, the, the one that makes the most <coughs> sense on a, on a simple level is the latter one, uh, the position of the Radak and many other Mepharshim, many other commentaries. And, and it completely fits the translation of the words and it, everything makes sense. So <coughs> it's the, <coughs> my personal preferred uh, interpretation, which doesn't, of course, doesn't mean that the other interpretations are wrong, but I wanted to make sure we had a thorough analysis of this first. So here, this concludes chapter three. <coughs> um, thank you so much for studying chapter three of the second book of Kings with me. Looking forward to studying chapter four. And of course, the rest of this book of Kings have a wonderful day.